The Easter stories I've spent the most time with this year are the ones we find in the book of John and the gospel according to Luke. And in both of those versions of the resurrection story of Jesus, I found myself, I guess annoyed is the best way to put it, annoyed, frustrated that when the women who first encountered the risen Christ proclaimed the good news to the disciples, it was ignored. And it has just gotten under my skin for some reason this year. And so understanding that my annoyances and frustrations at others generally points back to something about myself, I decided that I was going to spend some intentional time with the story of the resurrection of Jesus. To imagine myself in the sandals of those who first heard the good news and to explore some of the doubts and fears that I have about the resurrection and to wonder whose witness I dismiss or discount, or ignore. I chose the Gospel of Luke for this task because it is the most expansive story, so picture it. Easter morning, after Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the other Mary shared their experience at the empty tomb, the other disciples didn't believe them and considered it an idle tale or nonsense depending on which translation you read. Immediately after this, the story shifts and we join two men walking from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. Jesus himself joins them, though they don't recognize who he is. And they just spill their guts about their frustration, their sadness, their disappointment that the one they thought was the Messiah had been crucified. And then they shared their astonishment at a rumor they had heard that he had risen from the grave that very morning. And Jesus, still unknown to them, began to explain and interpret the scriptures to them. He called them slow of heart. And then their hearts began to burn with the fire of truth and revelation. And later, as they were eating together, their eyes were opened as he broke the bread. And when they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. Unable to contain their joy, they hurried back to Jerusalem to share the news that, yes, that story we heard is true. But when they arrived, they were met with other excited believers who were telling them, yes, it is true. Peter has seen him. Can you imagine the excitement? The wonder, the energy, and all of the voices talking over each other, shouting over each other to ask more questions, to share more information, to wonder, could this actually be happening? Today's scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. Here begins the reading. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ginger. Today marks the 50th anniversary of Reverend Jarman's ordination into Christian ministry. And we are so grateful for you and your many gifts for ministry and for your service to Christ Church. Thank you. Will you pray with me? Loving God, open our hearts and our minds to the scripture you have placed before us today. Let your spirit Speak to our hearts and the love of the Christ inspire us to connect with you in deep, deep ways. Amen. Frosted flakes or cornflakes? Those were the breakfast cereal choices available at the Moore household. On rare occasions, we'd go wild and spring for a box of Rice Krispies, but in general, the choice was frosted flakes or cornflakes. It was really kind of torture standing in the grocery aisle surrounded by all the boxes of multicolored, brightly colored cereal boxes promising prizes and a full day's supply of vitamins and minerals and the companionship of a cartoon logo. But for me, it was not meant to be. And I don't know why my parents devised that rule, but if you know anything about breakfast cereal, you know that Frosted Flakes and Corn Flakes are basically the same cereal. I mean, the main choice really lies in whether you want to go with the amount of sugar that the Kellogg Corporation chose for you when they pre-sweetened the Frosted Flakes, or if you want to decide for yourself how much sugar to add to the Corn Flakes. Now, Frosted Flakes did have the advantage of Tony the Tiger, but there really is nothing like getting a big spoonful of half-melted sugar in your milk at the end of your frosted, of your cornflakes. These are tough decisions. It wasn't so bad though, because I had a never failing plan B when it came to getting my cereal needs met. And that plan was my Aunt Ava. Going to my Aunt Ava's house, as I often did, was magnificent. For one thing, my best friend, who happens to be my first cousin, lived there. And also their house was a brick house. And I thought brick houses were real fancy, and y'all know how I love fancy things. But there was also the wonder that was Aunt Ava's kitchen. There was almost always something cooking on the stove. And as my family adhered more to a give us this day our daily bread system of grocery shopping, Aunt Ava's pantry was filled with amazing things. But the very best thing about Aunt Ava's house 
was that right above the built-in wall stove with the digital clock, also fancy, was the cereal cabinet. Boxes upon boxes of cereal and not shredded wheat or grape nuts or any of that mess. Ain't Ava had the good stuff. Honey smacks, blueberry and Count Chocula, Fruit Loops, Cookie Crisp, and the crown jewel of cereal, Fruity Pebbles. Little sugary flakes of rainbow-colored delight that turn your milk into a color that can only be described as vague pastel, but is an unmatched delight to the palate. Also, I felt free to have cereal whenever I wanted it at Aunt Ava's because you just do not go hungry at Aunt Ava's house. She does not allow it. And I really didn't even have to ask, but I always did because manners. And when I'd ask, can I have some Fruity Pebbles? The answer was always the same. Suge, if it's in there, you can have it. I was family And not just because she is my dad's sister, but because she made that expansive welcome possible. When you're family, you don't have to ask where the bowls are, and you know which drawer the spoons are in. You know where the cereal is, and you know how to rinse out your bowl and put it in the sink or the dishwasher when you're done. There wasn't a class. There wasn't an instruction manual. You learn how family works by being surrounded by the family. And in the best cases, being welcomed and accepted and loved and by being held accountable to the other members of the family. Now, you are also my family, my church family. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you today and share with you that I've had a bit of struggle with Easter this year because I realized that my understanding of resurrection was hazy. Probably because of the way Jesus is described in the Easter stories after his resurrection, that he appears and disappears and vanishes. I think I had in my mind that this post-resurrection Jesus was, I don't know, illogical or kind of magic, it's kind of hard to explain, but when I was confronted with today's text about this flesh and bone risen Christ, I realized that I was myself unbelieving, slow of heart, if you will. So I decided I was going to dig in and face those doubts head on. So I went in my imagination to that room where the disciples were gathered, and you can come with me too, if you'd like. Just take a minute. Imagine that we're there. The noise, the chatter, and the sudden silence that overcomes us when we hear Jesus' voice. And he speaks his peace upon us We're confused, we're scared, our logic won't let us comprehend what's going on. And Jesus says, look, it's me. It's really me. And then our friend, our teacher, 
our Savior, who we thought was gone forever, reaches out his hand and says, touch me. Imagine reaching out to touch the hand of Jesus and to know with eyes and ears and touch and heart that he is real. And friends, it it hit me. It hit me hard as if it were the first time I'd ever heard it. Jesus is alive and not as a slogan and not as a symbol and not as a metaphor. Jesus is alive and my heart was pounding as I meditated on those words and it's it's pounding now. Jesus the crucified, Jesus the buried is now and forever shall be Jesus the living. It is not logical, but it is life changing. What happens next? Most commentaries will say is Jesus offering further proof that he is real. He asks the disciples for something to eat and they give him a piece of broiled fish and he eats it in their presence. But I think he was just hungry. And he was with his family. And when you're with your family, you can pause the most intense situations and say, you know what, I'm hungry. And his family responded, here's what we got. You can have it. And after he had eaten, he taught them once more, opening their minds to understand that all scripture was fulfilled in his life and his death and his resurrection. And then he commissioned them as witnesses to proclaim repentance and forgiveness. Oh, how that word repent has been so misused. It is often accompanied with a finger out instead of an honest look within. Jesus is telling his family, look inward and examine what it is that's keeping you from fully living in the light of my love. And then turn away from it. Don't hold on to it. Forgive yourself. Forgive other people. As my friend, Reverend Monique Crane Spells said to me this week, repentance isn't condemnation. It is freedom. But you see, there's something I've left out of this story. Repentance and forgiveness isn't something that we can do on our own. Repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed in Jesus' name and to be proclaimed by all nations, to all nations, including ours. Jesus calls us to look inward at our own shortcomings, at our own sin, to figure out what in the world happened that makes the shooting death of another black man an all-too-common news story. To ask what has happened that has caused Asian Americans to have to fear violence against their bodies, to ask what has caused us to other the LGBTQ community, and in the name of all that is holy, 
Can we find an end to the relentless conflict that causes Democrats and Republicans to be at each other's throats? It does not have to be this way. The real and risen Christ compels us to look inside our individual and collective selves and to turn away from what is harmful, to repent, and to step boldly into the freedom of a different way of life. We are a family, and Christ is the head. Jesus told his disciples to look at his hands and his feet. Look around at all of the Christ followers, all the hands and feet that have been called to do ministry and to walk in the way of Christ. This is Christ's house. And this is Christ's family. And in this house, in this family, nobody goes hungry. In this house, in this family, we offer an expansive welcome. In this house... In this family, prejudice and injustice is eradicated. In this house, in this family, all the isms are destroyed as our hearts burn with the truth and revelation of Scripture. In this house, in this family, there is repentance and forgiveness born of the heartfelt relationship-building, life-giving, grace-filled peace. Peace that Jesus offered to his disciples when he appeared to them and he offers it to us still. Jesus offers himself fully. His peace, his presence, his hands and his feet, his table, his repentance and forgiveness, and his call to us to share our witness of how he has changed and is changing our lives. It's not easy work, but it's holy work. The invitation for new life is there. You can have it. Because your family, we are family.